Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Focus Group Podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark, and this week we've got Georgia on our minds because it is runoff time. So Republicans had a solid night in Georgia on November 8th. Governor Brian Kemp beat Stacey Abrams a second time, winning by around seven and a half points. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, personal favorite of mine, got reelected by around nine points. And then there's Herschel Walker, whose controversies uh, we discussed at length in the last Georgia episode with Time reporter Molly Ball. He could only pull in about 48.5% of the vote. So this focus group that we did was super interesting. Most of the group voted for Herschel Walker, but for one reason or another, when we did our screener, to find people, they screened as on the fence about the runoff, uh, so undecided. I'll also add that this entire group voted for Donald Trump in 2016, and all but two voted for him in 2020. Now, my guest today is Greg Bluestein, political reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and the author of the book, Flipped, How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power. Greg, thanks for being here. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. So one of the things that has been just like great fun on this podcast is I've gotten to have sort of the the John Ralston, you know, the people who are like the political person from the state to listen to the groups. And you're that you're that person there in Georgia, which has become such an important state in the political conversation. But so what are you doing right now as we head into this runoff? <laughs> so we're taping this on the Friday before the runoff. And this is the peek behind the uh, the curtains for reporters. I am spending the day finishing my prep for next week. So not only do we have to have stories saying Walker won or Warnock won, but we also have to start our why they won or why they lost type stories as well. So I finished up the two big prep stories about just so we're ready for if either scenario happens. And hopefully there will be a scenario. Hopefully it won't be this long drawn out legal battle over ballots. I don't even want to jinx us. And then I next have to go to write the, uh, the why they won type stories. I talked to lots of reporters who are working on pre-writes, but pre-writing the why has got to be interesting. Like, do you have a theory of the case of why either one of them could win in advance? Like, you already have that theory? Yeah. I mean, look, things right now at least seem like they're tilting pretty decisively in Warnock's favor. You know, your last episode, you mentioned a lot of the issues that Herschel Walker's having and a lot of the things that are playing into Warnock's camp. I think one of the biggest issues is is kind of what we're hearing from this focus group that we're about to talk about. But the split ticket voters, the Camp Warnock voters are signaling, at least it's impossible to know, but you know, I've just done tons of interviews with them. And many of them, are at least they tell me they're going back out to vote for Warnock once again. But in this focus group, you also have even Walker supporters who are worried about going back out to the runoff for him. So you know, that'll be part of the why, if Warnock does end up winning, why he won. But of course, there's also all sorts of issues that have plagued Walker's campaign throughout this entire election season that are even getting worse in some ways. Republicans here were baffled that Herschel Walker was off the campaign trail for five full days doing Thanksgiving break at the same time when Senator Warnock had more than a dozen events and he tried to drum up early voting over the the weekend before uh, the last week of early voting. So there's been just inexplicable gaffes. There's been great ads from the Warnock campaign. They're outspending Walker nearly three to one right now in Georgia. There's just a lot of things that are tilting into the Democrats' favor. But at the same time, you never know with these runoffs and Herschel Walker could pull off a stunning upset. 
So before we jump in to this, I just want to ask you, like, as a reporter, so after the 2018 governor's race, the 2020 presidential election, those like 2020 Senate runoffs that cost the GDP of like a small island nation, (laughs) and then like another crazy cycle in 2022, Georgia's got to be the most exhausting place in America to cover politics. And you are the most, like, you're the biggest political reporter in the state. What is your life like? (laughs) <laughs> it's busy. Uh, my family's ready for Tuesday. Uh-huh. I'm ready for Tuesday. But they also were, were kind of used to us. And, you know, frankly, this might sound crazy, but I bring my kids on the campaign trail with me to events. So I've got a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old. They've met all the candidates. In fact, in the 2020 runoffs, they interviewed all the candidates for what they call Blue Steam blogs. So mm-hmm. they got to interview John Ossoff, Raphael Warnock, David Perdue, Kelly Leffler. So, so they get to see a, a fun side of the campaign trail because I bring them up to you know, events in small towns or events with free donuts, <laughs> with free food. So we bond sometimes on the campaign trail. I'm lucky at the AJC, we have a, a big team as well. So I don't have to be at every single event. I can take a day like I am today and work on enterprise, work on, on other stories. But also, as you know, once the election's over, our work is not done. We've got to write, you know, what's next. Yeah. Uh, we got to cover the legislative session. We got to cover the less sexy things coming up in Georgia. So we're also, we have, we have one eye on that. We have meetings about the year to come that are starting right after the runoff ends. Well, I love your work and I can tell like, you know, if you're a political junkie, I, obviously I know it can be a lot, but it's also sounds like it's a ton of fun. Love that you take your kids. All right. Let's talk about this Senate race. So Warnock, as you pointed out, seems like he's in a pretty good position because Walker is just a lousy candidate in many ways. So this group that we talked to is a group that Walker should have locked up, Mm -hmm. you know, to be where he wants to be. Yet several in this group are still sort of teetering on the brink of indecision. Let's listen. What I have done And I didn't do as much beforehand because I knew I was going to go with Kemp and I was going to go Republican. But ever since this happened, and then you see all the negative ads, I've done my research. I've read up on Warnock. I read up on Herschel Walker. And, you know, obviously both have their flaws. There's no doubt about it. So do I. I personally think the biggest issue right now is crime, you know, and who is going to do the best for us to take care of some of the crime in Georgia and Atlanta and that sort of thing. And I do think that Walker is leaning a little more that way for me. I voted conservative the first time for Walker, almost for a default value. To me, the more important issue was crime. Uh, And I felt he would be a stronger candidate. I voted for Kemp with no second thoughts about it. But the issue with Herschel is almost like the first time I voted for Trump. I voted for Trump the first time and I didn't the second time. Because after I saw him for a while, I just started, I just started having second doubts about it. And I admit, I am being influenced by a lot of these, uh, uh, television ads that they're putting on. Walker just comes off as such a buffoon sometimes. And yet, if I look at the core values, I think he's more of a Republican candidate, but I'm really on the fence between the two of them. Uh, I'm not as worried. Of course, I'm not a woman, so it's easy for me to say that. I'm not as worried about the abortion issue because he seems to have such an extreme abortion issue that is not with rape, like you're saying, or any of those other situations that I don't think he can get that passed to that extreme. So I I have a fundamental belief that 
that that will be moderated a great deal more. So you just heard people and this group that they all voted for Kemp without a second mm-hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. Many of them like really liked Kemp. So it seems like a generic-ish Republican would still do really well in Georgia. And so are Republicans in the state learning a lesson from Walker? Oh, yeah. I mean, we did a group, sounds like you listened to it, of, of it was a group of swing voters, and they were like 100% Kemp Warnock. Mm-hmm. Like there was like mm-hmm. one guy who wasn't going to go for Warnock, and even he was kind of on the fence about it. And so uh, do you think there's any lessons being learned here after these last couple cycles? and, and oh, seeing Walker sure. struggle? Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. And first off, I mean, th- those Kemp Warnock voters were the decisive factor totally. in the midterm. They were the difference between Republican outright victories in every statewide contest, except for this one, where it was driven to a runoff because Senator Warnock was able to to attract a significant number of these crossover voters. 200,000 fewer people voted for Herschel Walker than Governor Brian Kemp. So that, that kind of says it all right there. And this focus group is so remarkable because there's no talk of from Democratic supporters of Senator Warnock in the first round of saying, oh, well, we're worried about voting for the second round because we're, we're worried about his history or his background. There's none of that. The bigger issue for the Democrats is just getting them back out to the polls, not about convincing them another time to vote. But meanwhile, as we heard, even Herschel Walker supporters, like this, the second gentleman we just heard, are concerned about voting for him. And they're being swayed by these TV ads and more than $300 million has been spent on TV ads in Georgia. $80 million has been spent doing the runoffs on TV ads. So they're having an impact on at least some voters. And it's just remarkable that even Walker supporters are now having second doubts. Even supporters who voted for him despite the history of violence, the erratic behavior, the lies on the campaign trail, the abortion allegations, you name it. They still held their nose and voted for him in November. And now some of these voters are still on the fence about voting for him in December. We're going to delve into that just a little bit more. But first, we're going to play a kind of a long section. But I want to give you a real sense. This group was so good. It was. And the, and when I say good, I guess I mean they've clearly been marinating in this race for like such a long time. They were just incredibly clear in being able to articulate how they were thinking about things, what was making them stick with Walker if they were and how they were rationalizing it. Like So the critical mass of the group, right? So the people who don't think that Herschel is a good candidate, but they're doing the thing that should be a drinking game on the Focus Group podcast, which is just the lesser of two evils. But I want you to hear how these very conflicted voters are thinking about Walker and how they're getting there with him. I want to counter the Democrat control and pull the lever at this point for Walker now, just because it is a numbers game. And so... While I don't think he's the sharpest knife in the drawer, there are an awful lot of folks in Congress who are are not terribly bright, quite frankly, uh, some of them from this state. So uh, I can't really hold that against him, per se. I can't really hold hypocrisy or lying against him because they all do it. So it really does get down from my perspective to trying to at least get a better balance of power in there and trying to at least get more bipartisanship if that's even possible in this day and age, which it certainly doesn't seem like it now. But at least if you have a 50-50 Senate, somebody's got to go over to the other side or unless it's a one vote decision by the VP. So that's kind of my stance on why I'm going to go ahead and vote for for Herschel. It's the big picture of control of the Senate. And Warnock will be in there for six years. So on the 2024 election, 
you know, he'll already have that seat for another four years. I'm probably in the minority of a pro-choice Republican, but with the overturning of the Supreme Court of the Roe versus Wade, it's now at the state level. You know, it's the state legislature, the state Senate. It's our governor that makes the decision now. All the states make the decision on abortion. I mean, what Warnock or Walker's opinion is on abortion really doesn't matter. We're not going to have a federal law or any kind of federal deal on abortion. This is just not going to happen. Walker is a horrible candidate. And I'm not just saying that as a Tennessee fan, but, you know, he was a terrible candidate. And there's no doubt about it. Warnock is horrible, too. He's been a terrible senator. So you just got to look at the big picture and say, hey, you want to have, you know, the Democrats at 51 to 49 makes a big difference in 50-50. So that's why I decided to vote for Walker. I think it's crucial that we have 50-50. And to be honest with you, two weeks ago, I was considering not even voting because I kept hearing things on the news when they were saying, you know, so-and-so won and this one won. And and then they said, well, there's no point now. It doesn't matter if Herschel wins or not, because even if he does, the Republicans still won't win the Senate. But if he wins, we will at least have half-half. And that, to me, is crucial. I don't like either candidate. I really don't like Herschel in these last two weeks. I think the ads that they've been showing have been just awful. <coughs> he just looks like a buffoon, but I'm going to vote for him. And Jim, you saying that about the 50-50, that really struck a chord with me. So I will definitely be voting for Herschel. I don't want to, but I'm going to. Man. Uh and and that was very I, we don't play all of them, but I would say that was for the people who were gonna vote for Walker, and not all of them are in this group, we'll get to that. They basically were like taking Walker out of it almost entirely and really just talking about control of the Senate. But I gotta say, so this group seems to think that there's a marginal benefit to the extra Republican seat, even with no majority on the yeah. line. And so our listeners may recall that in the 2020 runoffs. You know, the Senate majority was on the line. So how do you think the enthusiasm is different from 2021 when people were highly engaged, but enough of them didn't turn out because, you know, they thought the election was stolen or whatever happened? Um, I guess I was surprised to hear them have this rationale about the 50-50 mattering because I thought that was kind of be off mm-hmm. the table. So anyway, what do you make of that? Yeah, you know, I love, by the way, she's like, he's a buffoon, but I'm still going to vote for him. And we, we hear that all the time. All the right? time. We heard that throughout the first phase of the election. We heard that in the primary, even Republicans saying, hey, I don't, I don't necessarily like him. I don't like what he's saying. I don't like his history. I don't like his, his lies, his exaggerations, but I'm still going to vote for him because he's a, a Republican vote. And we certainly heard that in the context of Donald Trump in 16 and 20 here in Georgia and elsewhere. But it struck me as interesting that these are obviously well-versed voters who are paying attention to the narrative and they're paying attention to the news because, you know, the conventional wisdom was the moment that Senate control wasn't at stake, that would help Senator Warnock. And I still think it does, right? Because it takes away that core argument from Walker's allies that, hey, a vote for him was a vote for Republican control of the Senate. And now that Democrats will have the majority with the tie-breaking vote, no matter what, 
But these voters are saying, hey, it's still important to get it back to 50-50. And some of them are paying attention enough to say, yeah, it means a different sort of power sharing agreement in the Senate. It makes it harder for Joe Biden to press his agenda. It makes it harder for him to get his presidential appointments through. It puts Republicans one vote closer to flipping back control of the chamber. So it's interesting hearing them articulate that because I've certainly heard strategists talk about, hey, the stakes are still high. I've heard Democrats, frankly, say the same thing to try to not take the wind out of their sails, saying, hey, this gives us wiggle room in case Joe Manchin won't defects or Kirsten Cinema votes against a key policy. So it still shows that, hey, the stakes are still very high here, if not as high as they were in 2021 when Senate control was on the line. I was really blown away by how how deep yeah. that, that was with them in terms of a rationalization. I got to say, the one thing that I thought was interesting is the way that they talked about Herschel as a buffoon, right? So they think that he's like obviously not a talented politician, et cetera. But it, the ads are about him holding a gun to his ex-wife's head. It is his son saying that he threatened their lives and like they had to move. Like, it's weird to me that the takeaway is like Walker's a buffoon versus he's dangerous or something. Yeah, that's right. They don't seem to be convinced of like the danger side of it. Why do you think that is? Because the ads are, I think, quite effective. Well, when you have as much money as Senator Warnock, you can you can push all sorts of ads. So yes, we have seen ads literally just focusing on his ex-wife's, you know, very compelling testimony about his violent threats against her. But we've also seen ads and very effective ads of just Herschel Walker on the campaign trail saying bizarre things about bad air from China, right. about vampires against werewolves, about we have enough trees in, uh, on earth already. Why are, we, why are we worried about climate change? Things like that that have created memes. They've, they've gotten a different level of notoriety for Herschel Walker than just the violence and you know misstatements he's made on the campaign trail. So I, I think that's where she's going with the whole buffoon statement because it's hard to turn on a TV in Georgia right now without seeing one of those ads that literally just put Herschel Walker using his own words against him. And that's been a core argument for Senator Warnock's campaign throughout. They, they weren't necessarily seizing on the violence at first. They weren't necessarily seizing on uh, these abortion allegations that we've talked about Instead, they've just said, hey, he's unfit for U.S. Senate because he's not a serious candidate. And then they've highlighted the remarks he's made about COVID sprays that inoculate you from COVID. Things like that from the very get-go of his campaign kind of underscored their argument. When I started doing the focus groups in Georgia like a long time ago, going into the primaries, when I was just trying to get a handle on how voters felt about Herschel Walker, one of the things that struck me, because I was initially, when Trump was putting him forward and and Mitch did go along with it. I was like, why? This guy can't string two sentences together. But then I started doing some focus groups in Georgia, and I was like, oh, these guys think he is a god. I remember one of my favorite comments in a focus group, and we talked about it on this podcast. We're talking to the group, and we're saying, like, have you heard about him playing Russian roulette with himself, the fact that he would hold a loaded gun to his head and pull the trigger? And people were kind of like, hadn't heard of that. But somebody said, well, I guess Herschel keeps winning. You know, that's what Herschel does. He wins. And I remember being like, oh, man, the love for Herschel Walker is so deep in this state that it's sort of like with Trump was one of the things I really missed was how familiar people felt with him because of his television show. Mm -hmm. um, when I started doing focus groups with Trump voters, like the number of people who'd watched his show and had a, a feeling of a personal connection to him, a comfort with him because he'd been in their living rooms for eight years. I had just like totally missed that element of it. But anyway, as all the buffoonery and all that stuff, like 
has it really eroded just like the warmth and good feeling for Walker in the state? Oh, sure. And he had to know that. He had to know that half the state would end up or at least, you know, a significant number of voters would end up hating him by the end of this because he came into this with much higher approval ratings, right? I, I guess this can help put it in context. I grew up in Georgia to parents who could care less about football, didn't watch football, didn't care about UGA sports. And I still grew up hearing about the legend of Herschel Walker. Uh, when I saw him at an airport, I don't know, a half a decade ago, you know, I dropped everything to go take a picture of them because he's this icon in Georgia. I know Democrats who named their dogs Herschel, whose garage codes are 3434 after his number, who say, and not jokingly, that had he run in a Democratic open primary for a statewide office, he probably would have won too, right? Mm-hmm. That That's just his name brand appeal. You can't buy that sort of name ID. And then you add to that on the Republican side, Donald Trump's endorsement, later on Mitch McConnell's endorsement, it froze the field. Really good candidates like Attorney General Chris Carr or Congressman Buddy Carter said, I can't compete with that. You know, they got out of the race early. You know, in hindsight, they probably, I don't know if they could have won, but they would have had a much better standing against Senator Warnock for sure than Herschel Walker has. You wouldn't be talking about all these split ticket voters with candidates like that. But also Herschel Walker, I mean, he had this, he has this name ID you just cannot buy in Georgia. So he came in with this sort of legendary status that he used. And frankly, if you go back to the primary campaign, a lot of the issues we're talking about here, we talked about in Georgia since last August, you know, his Texas residency, you know, violence against women, bizarre statements. None of this is really new. There's been plenty that have come out since that that have amplified those arguments and those those concerns. But we've been talking about these same issues now for a year about Herschel Walker. Gary Black, his main Republican rival, even cut an ad saying this is what Democrats will use against Herschel Walker in November and October if he wins the primary. And Gary's ad was pretty much spot on. There have been a lot more that's been added to that, but the sort of the core arguments are spot on. And yet still, you know, even knowing the baggage, even knowing the issues, Herschel Walker was unbeatable. There's a CNN poll that has Warnock 52, 48. But one of the things they talked about in it was how Warnock has basically like completely locked up the black vote, that Herschel just isn't getting. And I guess I always thought that maybe Herschel would pick up more of the black vote. But obviously, when things come down to turnout, like, well, A, talk to me about the black vote in Georgia. And then also your sense of enthusiasm, turnout, like, was Stacey being on the ticket helpful for voter enthusiasm or do you think uh, Warnock will be better like on his own? Yeah, this was totally a theme of the midterm election because Senator Warnock was always polling pretty well with black voters and and pretty well means like 90% plus because to win in Georgia as a Democrat, you've got to block up the African-American base. That is the most important and reliable block of voters in Georgia for Democrats. And Stacey Abrams was the one lagging behind. She was in the 70s and low 80s at a time when Senator Warnock was double digits ahead of her in some of these polls. And it was very concerning to Stacey Abrams and her allies. And she had events specifically geared at black male voters. She tailored her message. She started talking about reparations and other issues that she thought would appeal to more black voters. And in the end, it really didn't matter, right? I mean, she lost, but she ended up consolidating the black voter base to a similar degree as as Senator Warnock. And when you're going into this to this runoff, when it's all really about that base turnout, it's so important for him to continue to consolidate that black base. And the concerns you're hearing from black leaders here in Georgia about Herschel Walker isn't just that he's a Republican who supports a lot of far-right policies that they oppose. 
but also that he's being propped up by white Republicans. And images of Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham kind of sandwiching Herschel Walker in interviews on Fox News have played terribly with the African-American base. You've seen memes and tweets and press release events and all sorts of things from black voters saying that that's one of the biggest concerns they have with Herschel Walker, that essentially he'd be a tool of white Republicans. And he has not been able to counter that because frankly, he's not responding to anything at all. Any of our questions, any media questions at all, he's done very few events. He's done very few interviews with outlets that are going to ask him any probing questions. Instead, he's really just kept to his his same really, by now, predictable stump speech over and over again. And he's avoided even shouted questions for the press. He's putting up barriers 20 feet away from him so that press can't even get close enough to even shout a question at him, let alone ask him a question. Wow. Well, I want to close this Senate race conversation, but then I've got more I want to talk to you about. But this last part, I want to play a couple of the people who are sort of right-leading, Republican-oriented, but they're going to vote for Warnock. And I think this is the part of this group that should put a pit in the Walker campaign's stomach. Let's listen. I actually did not vote in the general, um, but I am planning on voting on Tuesday. I don't really like either candidate whatsoever. Um, big fan of Kemp. He did a lot for teachers. You know, I think he did a really solid job during his tenure. Um, right now I am leaning towards Warnock, I would say primarily because the abortion law really scares me right now. And so that is pretty much my prime reason for leaning towards Warnock at the moment. I am a Republican, you know, and I, tend to go right down the ballot, Republican, Republican, Republican. That's what I did the first time. Two days ago, I said, I just can't do it. I don't want that person making decisions for me. No experience, holding a gun to your wife's head, uh, you know, lying, you know. I almost feel like it's, well, we want to prevent abortions unless I impregnated them. Then go ahead and do an abortion, you know. <laughs> we want to have more Republicans in the House than Democrats. That's probably one of the factors I was thinking of the first go round. But, you know, after seeing the ads and doing a little research and influenced by my husband, who's <laughs> who was saying the same as me as, you know, no, can't do it. Hmm. So this is incredible to me because you've got the first woman who did not vote the first time. She didn't come out. She was pox on both their houses. But now she has decided that specifically because of abortion, she's going to come out in the runoff and vote for Warnock. And then the second woman voted for Walker the first time and at this point now had already early voted for Warnock. She mm-hmm. has changed her mind because the first first time it sounds like she just went straight ticket uh, for Republicans. You know, she's a Kemp fan. But the second time she, she's flipped and already voted for Warnock. And, and that, to me, is really wild. Yeah. And again, some, someone who is reliably Republican. And again, that's the biggest factor to me in this, this race because it's so different from the 2021 runoff that, that Warnock won where he just – 
basically honed in on liberals and said, hey, if we can get the same base that we got out to back Joe Biden in November, we can win this runoff. And he, and he didn't really focus on Kelly Leffler. He didn't really focus on his Republican opponents. He just focused on his agenda. Where in this race, yeah, of course, he's highlighting the votes he made and he's highlighting his push to cap the price of insulin at $35 and such. But he's making this a contrast with him and Herschel Walker. And it's so effective because you're hearing again and again from these people that we just heard from this, this focus group are not anomalies. Out on the campaign trail, in my inbox, when I'm just going around town in Georgia, I hear all the time from Kemp Warnock voters who insist they're going to come back out to the polls. I was just talking to a, a senior Republican advisor here in Georgia who is noting that in Buckhead, which is a very wealthy neighborhood in North Atlanta, Today, on Friday, the last day of early voting, there are lines wrapping around the building. And I said, that is Kemp Warnock territory. And he goes, yep. And that's why we're so worried right now. I mean, just huge turnout in these areas of sort of mainstream Republican voters who just can't vote for Herschel Walker for whatever reason. And some of them are not going to vote at all. And some of them, as we heard, are going to go and hold their nose and cast their ballot for, for Raphael Warnock. Yeah. Can I just say, too, because several people mentioned abortion in this group Mm -hmm. and that one woman who loved Kemp, even though he signed the heartbeat bill, but she for abortion totally disqualifies Herschel. And I think that this is so interesting on the abortion issue. It's like when they don't like somebody or they think somebody's extreme, like abortion is often their way in and they want to like say abortion is this. But like if they like a candidate. Like I think in Texas, you saw this with Abbott, you saw it with Ron DeSantis and, and and with Kemp, they don't seem to let abortion be disqualifying for that candidate. Yeah. And you heard from a few of these folks on this focus group who said, oh, wow, it's such a rare instance. And one of them didn't like Herschel Walker's call for a total ban on abortion, but said, oh, that will never pass. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're sort of writing it off as a possibility. This is a race full of unbelievable divides between the candidates on policies. Abortion is one of many, but there's just staunch divides between them on healthcare, on guns, on crime, on, you know, you name it. There's, there's a big, a big, huge chasm between them on issues. And it's one that, of course, Senator Warnock has played into. I mean, it's not the focus of his campaign message. Frankly, the focus of his campaign message has long been that appeal to those, those swing voters. They've identified, I mean, I'm talking about basically a year out, these swing ticket voters will be crucial to them, decisive to them. They've executed this campaign strategy to make it easier for these swing ticket voters to hold their nose and vote for Senator Warnock. The way he does that is he doesn't talk about Joe Biden on the campaign trail. Joe Biden's approval ratings in Georgia are about 40% most polls. He's not talking about you know, really polarizing issues. He's instead talking about how he can work with Ted Cruz on the campaign trail. He can work with Marco Rubio. And it's often to the shock of people in the crowds. You know, I've seen jaws drop when he talks about working with Ted Cruz on a highway bill. And then he explains it saying, hey, you know, this shows I can work with anyone, even Ted Cruz, if it means helping Georgia. All right. Prediction time. Who do you think is going to win? This is where I get in trouble. Um, but, <laughs> but look, you know, I've, I've talked to even many, many Republicans who say it'll be really, really difficult for Herschel Walker to win. And it's not just all these gaffes and these errors, but it's some stuff out of his control, right? Once Senate control was clinched by Democrats, that made Herschel Walker's case to these skeptical Republicans that much harder. There have been a lot of gaffes, even in the runoff period. There's been that misstep I talked about where he was off the campaign trail for five days. It was inexplicable. 
there's been a lot of campaign turmoil within the, the Walker campaign that has really complicated their effort to drive home a unifying message. And Senator Warnock hasn't had any of those issues. He has, he's been free of, of infighting and controversy. And, he's, and as you noted, he's been able to consolidate his base of support. And he has the resources to press his campaign. He's, he's far outraised. Herschel Walker in these final stretch. So the odds are definitely in Senator Warnock's favor. But the big caveat is that election day tends to go decisively for Republicans, right? Herschel Walker beat Senator Warnock on election day by double digits. And Republicans say there's still a path to victory. So while I'd give Senator Warnock the edge, you know, he could very well win by four or five points right now. If there's a huge election day turnout, then all bets are off. But I don't know if we're going to see that. I don't sense the same enthusiasm for Herschel Walker out there that we see for Senator Warnock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm really sorry to do this to you, but go for it. We got to talk just a little bit about Trump 2024. Sure. Uh, of course. Because, you know, we asked the group if they were excited to see Trump's announcement and nobody raised their hand. I like really wanted to talk to like hardcore Trump voters and see where they were on Trump. And so we did a different group earlier this week with two-time Trump voters. And there was only one person in that group who was excited to see Trump running again. And then the rest were like, nah. And a couple were like, absolutely not. But in this one, you know, we asked at the end and to be clear, not everyone in this group voted for Trump in 2020. They all voted for him in 16. A couple of them didn't in 20, but the two people you're about to hear did. So let's listen to them. It's time to move on. Everybody feels you're not going to vote for an 80-year-old guy who only can go for four more years. It is time to move on. It's over. End of story. He's just very divisive. I mean, people either hate the guy or love the guy. I mean, there's just no middle ground with Trump. And unfortunately, it seems the haters are far more. And candidly, I mean, he's he's a bit immature. I mean, he, he he's a bit petulant sometimes. And But, you know, who knows what it'd be like to be sluffering the, the slings and arrows he did for four years as president of the United States at the time. But I think it is time to move on. I want the candidate that has the best chance of winning who brings common sense to the role, who is a little bit more polished, if you will. So I got to say, Georgia, I've been fascinated by Georgia voters and their relationship with Trump because everywhere else in this country, Trump got the primary candidates he wanted. But him primarying Mm -hmm. Kemp and even Brad Raffensperger, who underperformed Kemp by a lot but still got it done, like. What is the relationship with the voters and Trump in Georgia now? Because these people were not into him. Trump's track record in Georgia was awful because it wasn't just Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger who beat back Trump back challengers, but it was also the attorney general, Chris Carr, and even the insurance commissioner, John King, beat a, basically an unknown Republican who based his entire campaign on Trump and accusing the Republican incumbent of woke insurance policies, which no one knew what the hell that meant. Um, And then when you even say, look, Herschel Walker did have Trump's endorsement and blessing, but Herschel Walker did not need Trump's endorsement or blessing to win the Republican primary. I'm sure it helped with some voters, but we can't really put Herschel Walker in the same category as as we put like Blake Masters and other national Republicans who got Trump's blessing and you know it helped them emerge from obscurity into a, a legit contender because Herschel Walker is Herschel Walker in Georgia. He had sky high name recognition and that 
that UGA background I, I talked about earlier. But yeah, we have this unique relationship, our Republican Party, because even after Kemp easily defeated David Perdue, you could definitely look at that moment of him beating back Donald Trump's handpicked challenger and said that was the moment he unified the Republican Party, that Trump did Kemp a favor in a sense uh, by doing this because you know Kemp had 95% of support in polls over the summer after he beat David Perdue from Republicans. So there was no sort of sense of the MAGA crowd turning against him and withholding their support from him against Stacey Abrams. So David Perdue helped Brian Kemp unify Republicans behind him by launching that that ill-fated challenge. And going into this next 2024 cycle, we see a number of Republicans who want nothing to do with Donald Trump, starting with Brian Kemp. He withheld any criticism of Donald Trump throughout the primary and throughout the general election campaign because he didn't want to do anything to ostracize the former president and get him off the sidelines because Trump was also pretty silent about Kemp through the general election campaign. But right after he won, he took a veiled shot at Donald Trump in his victory speech. And these guys got death threats. You know, they got booed at Republican gatherings, all sorts of internal pushback because of Donald Trump's lies. So they are not going to bend over backwards and help Donald Trump. And many of their supporters feel the same way. And right now, Brian Kemp is the most popular Republican in Georgia. It's not Donald Trump by a long shot. And we see that with the fact that Donald Trump has not come to Georgia to rally for Herschel Walker. Instead, it's Brian Kemp who Herschel Walker wants at his side right now. So you've seen the uh, the narrative really flip. And I've seen internal polls that show Kemp's support among likely runoff voters is at 60%, whereas Trump's is at 30 or 35. So that tells you all you need to know. Do we count Donald Trump out? No, because we know that in a crowded primary field, even 30, 35% of support can do the trick. But it certainly was not this, you know, game-changing moment a few weeks ago when Donald Trump announced his comeback bid. Most Republicans were kind of like, okay, <laughs> what's next? Totally. And I'll tell you, speaking of what's next, Ron DeSantis has been having like a big moment in the focus groups for like a while now. Yeah. We can't find anybody to say a bad thing about him. And so we asked this group if they would prefer DeSantis or Trump in a primary, and it was a clean sweep for DeSantis. And everybody you're about to hear is a two-time Trump voter. There are people that will vote for Ron DeSantis that won't vote for Donald Trump. And that's that's the bottom line for me. In our neighborhood, there are already signs for DeSantis for president. <laughs> he does what he says he's going to do. You know, from living in Florida for four years, I just thought he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I just thought he governed with the people in mind more so than anybody I see now. I just thought he was fantastic. So here's the thing that shocked me about this group. We asked them about 2024. And they all started talking about DeSantis. We ran through some names. Me and Pence, Nikki Haley, uh, Mike Pompeo. And everybody was kind of like, eh. Nobody said Brian Kemp. Yeah. Nobody I was wondering that too. Kemp. I was wondering. I, I wish we'd asked. We didn't ask explicitly. We were just freewheeling. Sure. I just can't believe that nobody brought him up what is going on why is DeSantis like really just that much in people's brains that they don't realize in Georgia they've got their own successful governor who beat a much tougher opponent than Ron DeSantis did down in Florida so it's funny I asked one of Kemp's key aides about this Uh, right after he won the election he went to the RGA Republican Governors Association and you know I I said what was the reaction he said he got a hero's welcome but the same aide said but DeSantis was like in a different stratosphere 
I mean, you know, the guy won in what was used to be a swing state by 20 points. I mean, Kemp won by eight points, so it's nothing to sneeze at against Stacey Abrams. But DeSantis won by like a literal landslide. And I just think, look, Kemp is starting his second term. He is definitely a national figure now. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And I think he'll definitely be looked at as a potential running mate for one of those non-Trump candidates. And he'll even be talked about as a 2024 candidate. It's not something he's shying away from because it certainly helps his profile. But I think internally, it's not something that's also being seriously talked about. Instead, I think he's going to be vetted as a potential running mate and maybe he'll become a running mate. Who knows? But I think also he's seriously looking at a Senate run in 2026, which is a whole different can of worms. But certainly Kemp, look, he beat Donald Trump and he beat Stacey Abrams in the same election cycle. And Stacey Abrams is the arch nemesis to not just a lot of Georgia Republicans, but a lot of national Republicans too. So coming off of that sort of election cycle, it's, he's definitely seen as a, as a 2024 player. I just don't think a lot of folks in Georgia right now see him that way. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out the next two years as the jockeying really intensifies for 2024. Yeah, it will be, especially because I have very serious doubts about the political talent of Ron DeSantis, the enthusiasm for him in the focus groups, which is super real and off the charts, it's also quite shallow. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like they saw him yelling at kids in masks on a YouTube clip, and then they saw him yelling at Disney, and they know he did a good job with COVID. And obviously, he's done it in this big, bombastic way that the media has paid a ton of attention to. And Kemp, he also kept things open on COVID and walked the national uh, trends there. He took on Major League Baseball. He took on um, Coca-Cola yep. over the the voting bill. And maybe you could tell me, because I, I haven't watched him up close as much. He's a pretty smooth guy. Like, like what's your evaluation of guess, his, like political talent? Yeah. So one of the biggest things he's got going for him is he's tireless. You know, he loves being out there. He loves going to events. Even when he was getting booed at Republican gatherings, he would sit there for hours before and hours after and take every single question about Donald Trump's election lies and whatever it might come from, from like angry people holding signs calling for his head. And sometimes his aides and his wife didn't like the fact that he was so willing to do that. But that's, that's who Kemp is. And secondly, he's very on message. I mean, one thing that got Stacey Abrams is she would speak off the cuff a lot and sometimes get herself in trouble. And Governor Kemp, you could ask different variations of questions about Donald Trump and he'd give the same answer 50 times. And he was very good at that. And even interviews we're seeing with national broadcasters this week about whether or not he wants to run in 2024, right? They're asking him that question. He says the same thing over and over again, which is our focus needs to be on Herschel Walker. And I'm not even thinking about 2024. And he says variations of that time and time again. So he's got that going for him. You know, he's not this sort of magnetic personality. He doesn't have a cult of personality around him. He's good on the stump, but he's he's not going to bring tears to your eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not he's not a magnetic speaker. What he does have is he's very good strategically and he can kind of see around corners. And that helps him a lot. He knew at a time when folks like me had no idea. I was scared to death, frankly, when he reopened the economy early in the pandemic. You know, even the hardcore conservatives were still living in their basements, right? It was weeks into the pandemic and he allowed barbers and bowling alleys to reopen. And people like me were writing, oh my God, this is going to be the biggest test of Brian Kemp's administration. And he knew that would be a a defining moment for him and knew to run his campaign with that as one of its central messages. And guess what? It worked, right? It, It worked for him. 
you know, he has really good political instincts. My gut still tells me that his political instincts will not take him to the White House in 2024. Like he won't run. I think, you know, he, he's, he's going to end up being much more focused on a second term as George's governor and as helping other Republicans. But Mike Pence and him are very close. Mm. If you go back to Mike Pence's first big break with Donald Trump, what was it? It was endorsing Brian Kemp right before the primary and coming to Georgia and, and having a big rally for Brian Kemp just days before the May vote earlier this year. So I will not be shocked to hear Mike Pence talking about Brian Kemp as a potential running mate in a few months. Interesting. Interesting. Greg Bluestein, I loved having you on. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us about the ins and outs of one of the most important states right now. This was awesome. And thanks to all of you. Guys, like, I'm sorry to tell you, but I think this is our last episode for the year. I won't promise it. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can't help myself. But uh, we've had a great year, great election cycle. The focus groups were always right, told us what we needed to know. But I really appreciate all of you listening and coming on this journey with us. And unless I break down, I will see you next year. Bye. Bye.